Hello, it's Gary Martz, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And welcome to yet another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we honor every single former Royals player, anyone who played in at least one game. My goal is to hunt them down and talk to them about their times in baseball, especially here in KC. It's Dave. I'm glad you're along. And today, speaking of exactly one game or more, well, we're going to talk to a guy who did play in one game for the Kansas City Royals, one game at the major league level. What an interesting story he's had. Gary Martz. His name, an outfielder primarily, also played some first base in the Royals organization. And during the 1975 season, Amos Otis goes on the DL for 15 days. And who's mashing the ball down in Omaha just waiting for his big league chance? None other than Gary Martz, who joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation to talk about coming up with the Seattle Pilots. They drafted him in the fifth round back in 1969 and then came over to KC in a trade. We'll talk about all that and even the current day, 2014 Royals, as they head into the ALCS. Gary Martz joins us from Salem, Oregon. Now, that's like one of the few towns that seems like I haven't been to in the U.S. Is it pretty nice out there? Yeah, if you don't mind rain and like to fish. (laughs) Well, the Royals are starting uh, the 2014 ALCS tomorrow against Baltimore. Have you been uh, following along with the Royals in this postseason? Well, them and everybody else, I, you know, Having been a Royal, I definitely follow them, but I'm more uh, sit down and let the TV go and kind of pay attention to it as I'm doing a half another. You think they can do it and pull it off this year, maybe? You know, up to this point, I really thought it was kind of fluke they were there, but the more I see them, the more remind me of the Royal teams back in my day that were built on speed, defense, and... I think they're going to heck of a chance now. Gosh, it's so exciting here. Wish you could be here to see how the how the fans are. But anyway, you ready to go back in time and, and talk about you from the start? Sure. So you attended West Valley High School in Spokane. And then while you were there, uh, actually there's only been two other guys from that high school that have played pro baseball, but none of them in the major leagues. A couple minor league guys. But, uh, you know, was baseball your main sport growing up, and was that your best sport growing up also? I wanted to be Mickey Mantle from the day I could walk. So baseball was always my number one priority. So you get drafted by the Seattle Pilots in the fifth round of 1969. So at what point did you know that you'd be good enough to to get drafted? Were you like a sophomore, junior in high school where it kind of dawned on you that, man, I might get picked? Well, I was always way ahead of my age group in baseball. And my senior year when I got the offer for pro ball that's what I'd always wanted to do so in my mind it became a no-brainer to take the pilot offer over the scholarship in hindsight I wish I'd done it the other way but that's (laughs) that's a long time ago yeah well I mean it's what you know how many guys get a chance to be drafted in the top five rounds you know so 
when you think back to draft day, where were you at the day that the pilots took you, and who was with you, and what are your memories of that day that you had drafted? Well, back in those days, I mean, baseball draft was no big deal. You kind of didn't have any clue until somebody called you up. In my case, it was the, the pilot scout. What a cool memory. So you signed then shortly after that, and you finished up 1969 between the Arizona Instructional League and the Billings Mustangs. So take us back to the summer you spent in Billings. What do you remember most about that year? Well, ended up in Billings about two weeks after I graduated. That's how quickly I signed. And it was uh, back then the typical short-season Rookie League, 72 games, and Billings was a great town to play baseball in. They had a good following. The only, the only real problem with the low minors that I, I saw was you, it's pretty tough to recover the next day from a 12-hour bus trip. Yeah. So the biggest thing I remember about those days, were, <laughs> I think, was the, the bus trips. Yeah, you had quite a few of them, especially in the Pioneer League, like that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Billings or Great Falls, which was in the league, to uh, Ogden, Utah, or Salt Lake City, which were in the league, was about 12 hours. <laughs> so so you, end, you end a night game at, uh, get on the bus about 11.30, drive all night without dinner. At some point, you'd find a McDonald's or something might be open. <laughs> Get in. I remember one one game we got into uh, Ogden, Utah. Had a scheduled double set header, set scheduled to start at six. We pulled into the ballpark at five. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> and you had to play two games right after that. Two games, and the first pitcher for Ogden was a little left-hander. It was a Dodger farm team named Bobby O'Brien. He threw right at 100 miles an hour, and this is rookie league. <laughs> I'm coming out of high school. Probably the best fastball I ever saw was 80-something. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to professional baseball, right? Yeah, needless to say, it was one heck of a shock. Well, so after that first year then, so the Seattle Pilots, of course, folded after that one season. They moved to Milwaukee. So I know you weren't at the majors at that time, but from your point of view and from what you've heard, what went wrong with the Pilots, and, and why did they move so quickly? Well, the biggest problem they had was they played in a stadium called 6-6-S-I-K-C-K-S Stadium. It was a mediocre at best AAA stadium, so they had no major league facility. And you know the fans didn't want to go to this town for probably fifty years. And I don't know for a fact, but I got to believe that the the manager, the ownership, and everything was pretty pretty unsound. So hmm. the the major leagues quickly stepped in and helped them move. <laughs> there wasn't much option. Yeah, Bud Selig helped them too, right, with the Brewers or up in Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, they had been a, a major league 
area back in the Milwaukee Braves days, you know, Henry Aaron, etc. And Selig was the the main ownership behind those efforts back those days. Yeah, he was a he was a used car baron. Yeah, <laughs> he he rescued the pilots, I guess, though, right? <laughs> but no, seriously, he did. I mean, they they were going under in Seattle. I mean, that it was a mistake to put them there. Well, so 1970 is a year that I'm intrigued about for you. So you were in Clinton, Iowa. Now, there's actually probably my favorite book of all time came out last year all about Clinton. It's called Class A Baseball in the Middle of Everywhere, kind of about that small town, the factories there, and the old ballpark. And So I'm wondering your favorite memories and what do you remember about playing in Clinton, Iowa? Well, exactly that. I mean, that, that was a small-town baseball town. You know, single A, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, you know, the whole Midwest. I mean, that was baseball. It was, uh, the Clinton Ballpark was right off the Mississippi River. So in the summer, every every night before the game started, they came out with their uh, foggers to kill the mosquitoes. <laughs> uh, it was you know, it was, it was pretty low end. <laughs> so the stadiums you played in, I played in better stadiums when I was in high school. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's great. You, you ought to check out that book, by the way. I'll email you a copy of that book. You, you have to check it out. Yeah, uh, please do. That, that that sounds like my life back then. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, if yeah, definitely. Well, one guy, by the way on that team was future Royal Daryl Porter, who we obviously tragically lost way too young. Do you have any memories of Daryl back then? Yeah, he was a, a year younger than me, so that was my second year. He was a number one draft choice for the Brewers. So, obviously, they fast-tracked him. He never played rookie league. They sent him right to the full-season A-league, which was in Clinton. And he was destined to be fast-tracked all the way. His early days, the Brewers, and they, they needed players at the big league level. So he was he was on his way. Plus, he was a heck of a talent. Yeah, had a great career. So 1971, you were in Newark playing for the co-pilots. So in 1971, anything, any memories about, you know, Newark? Well, that was actually in some ways a step back for me as far as my career. That was a short season league, New York Penn League, 72-game season. And the reason for that is part of my original signing bonus, I had college paid for, which for the first two years I went to a JC college in Arizona full-time which meant I couldn't report to the start of the season until school ended, which was early June. And that, in essence, hurt me twice. When I went to Clinton, I didn't report until June, so it was something like 50 games into the season already, which meant I was behind the curve. And then the second year, or third year, Newark, I reported at the beginning of their season, but that was a, a short season league, which was 
you know, actually a step down from what I played the year before. But um, the, that was a, once again, you know, a lot, of, a lot of small towns, upper New York, Pennsylvania. But, you know, the fans you get out were rabbit. They loved baseball. And then the other the other thing that was a turning point for me is I met my first wife in Newark. Got married in September following the season. Ah, well, there you go. You know, there's always a woman along, right? <laughs> well, not if you're looking at your career. I mean, <laughs> looking back now, it's pretty tough playing low minors with family. Yeah. Yeah, the travel and the salary, right, and lack thereof, right? Well, yeah, both. And the salary being the biggest issue. I mean, I don't know how it is in the low minors today. I'm sure it's it's not good. But back then, <laughs> it was subsistence living. <laughs> well, 1972, you found yourself back in the Midwest League with a team that's no longer around, the Danville Warriors. Uh, now, two other future Royals played there with you, Bill Castro and Eduardo Rodriguez. Any memories of them and, and that year? Yeah, especially Castro. He, that was the first player I can remember that was actually being groomed as a short reliever. you got to remember back in these days, I mean, if you were a pitcher, you were a starter. If you were, if you were coming off the bench, you were pretty much done for. But he was actually being groomed as a short reliever. And now, now, you can make a heck of a career out of being a reliever, obviously. Yeah. Rodriguez, I don't really remember him that well. Sorry. No, that's okay. How about uh, Danville? What was that like? Danville was a, the typical Midwest, you know, Mississippi River type town. That was the um, biggest thing I remember there. That that was the only year in my career that we ever won the league cha- championship. Oh, cool! Which isn't surprising in the minors because the goal in the minors for the for the organization is to develop players. I mean, they care care about the records of the teams, but they're much more interested in making sure that they can groom players. So what the winter championship takes a kind of a quirk of a of event to be quite honest. Do you still have the uh, did you get a ring or anything from it? You know, I don't even remember. If we did, it was uh, kind of like a class ring. <laughs> it didn't have any diamonds or anything. And, but the, one of the biggest things I, re- I did, t- did take away from that is we had a manager da- named Joe Nosick, who, for low minors, once again, you know, the organization wants you to groom players. But he wanted to win, too. And he did just a great job of taking care of the organization needs and also putting the team on the field. And, that was the, probably the best year I ever felt that baseball is what I thought it should be. Huh. 
Well, you had spent two more years with the Brewers in 73 and 74. You were at Double-A Shreveport. And one of those years you played with Hall of Famer Denny McLean, right? Yeah. Probably leave it at that, but I won't. <laughs> now, Danny, Danny was washed up basically in baseball, and he was making his kind of his farewell tour in the minors just to help the the teams that he went to draw fans. And we were owned by a name a guy named Ray Johnson, so. That's the two things about minor league teams. Either they're organization-owned or they might have an individual on them. And in this, in Shreveport's case, this Ray Johnson owned He brought Denny in just to attract some fans. So Denny had two, probably two or three, maybe five starts and then wore out his welcome because he had nothing. <laughs> he threw up floaters. Yeah. That's classic. So now comes the real fun part of your journey then. So you're, you're years with the Royals. So they purchased you from Milwaukee on March 29th of 75. Your right of spring training is ending that year. So what do you remember about the moment you found out that you were going to Kansas City? Where were you at? What were your emotions like? Were you surprised and all that stuff? Well, I'm still living in Spokane in the off season, So I'm, I'm sure I got the call there. And several thoughts. Number one, I knew I was going nowhere with the Brewers. I mean, that no, no, was taken as a minor leaguer period. And so I, I really didn't have that many dreams of the big leagues. So when I got traded to Kansas City, I thought, hey, this is a new lease on life. And then when I found out that I'd be playing in Omaha, AAA, I was ecstatic. How did uh, the Royals discover you then, and, and what made them acquire you? Did you ever find out who saw you or what they saw? No, no idea. Huh. You always wonder about that kind of stuff. So 1975, you started in Omaha then, and then you went up to KC and ended back in Omaha. But let's begin by talking about your early times in Omaha. So when you first got to Omaha in early 75, what did you think of your new teammates and in the clubhouse and kind of the whole situation there in Omaha? Well, Omaha was such a step up as far as the, the, state, or the stadium and the town and everything. I, I loved it. I mean, this was back in the days when the College World Series was isn't what it is today, but it, that was still a big event in Omaha. So we, we had a neat, neat, a nice stadium, and the other thing plus with Omaha is, as I mentioned earlier, Omaha, the organization was owned by the Royals. So they had a vested interest, they being uh, Kansas City, in making sure the stadium and everything was first class because that was their stepping stone to the big leagues. So it was it was such a step up from anything that I'd ever seen. Now, as a hitter, how'd you like uh, hitting there at Rosenblatt? I didn't, even though I 
first couple of years, I had excellent years. I mean, at the, I, I'd still probably have the organization record for home runs, if I'm not wrong. But it was a big stadium, and I was a power hitter, so I did not like the dimensions. Yeah. But other than that, it was a, it was a nice stadium. Well, you got called up to Kansas City on July 1st of 1975. So take us back to that moment you first found out. I'm a, you know, I'm assuming Billy Gardner probably told you. Where were you at? How surprised were you? And all that stuff. Yeah, I was at the ballpark. Billy, our manager, who is one of the greatest people I've ever met in the game, came into the locker room and said, hey, You've been called up, pack your bags. <laughs> <laughs> and had to be the greatest day of my life. Did you believe it, like, right away, or were you kind of surprised by it? Oh, I, I was totally blown away. Then as I thought about it, I understood the, the circumstances a little bit. I was replacing Otis, Amos Otis on the, uh, the roster, who at the time was probably... Well, he undoubtedly was the best offensive player that uh, the Royals had. Yeah. Here I am replacing him. Well, it's because he went on the disabled list with the tonsillectomy. <laughs> <laughs> so he he was on the 15-day disabled list. I knew I was guaranteed of two months or of two weeks in the big leagues. <laughs> well, that's what it was. July 1st, uh, July 13th. So uh, before we talk about July 8th, that's when you got in the game. Before that. Uh, let's talk about first walking into a big league clubhouse. What sticks out about that? Yeah, I, in a lot of ways, I was, I guess you'd almost have to call me a country yoko. I, I was just in awe. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my lifelong dream and step into Kauffman Stadium, which at the time was one of the, basically knew it was one of the greatest stadiums in baseball. I mean, it was just awesome. The only downside is everyone knew I was a short-term replacement, so it's not like <laughs> I had a lot of people holding their breath, hoping I was going to save them. <laughs> and, okay, and here's your locker. Go for it. Enjoy it, kid. Right? Yeah, that was exactly well, so who were some of your teammates in Kansas City that were especially nice to you and who you got to know the most during your times here? Well, probably the one that was as nice or anybody was a left fielder named Jim Wolford. Yeah. Wolfie, he, 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 he was pretty much a long-term bench player. But he, he was super. I mean, in fact, the one game that I got into, I played an inning or two of defense, and he gave me a glove, because <laughs> I had, I'd been playing first base, I didn't even have a decent outfielder's glove, so Wolfie just gave me the glove, and the other player that I really appreciate was uh, John Mayberry, big left-handed power hitting first baseman. Big John. He was probably... The the one reason I got into the one game I played in, we were playing Milwaukee Brewers in the seventh inning, and we were beating them handily. The, the Brewers weren't going anywhere, and even in July, it was obviously, obviously Kansas City wasn't going to 
So he went to Jack McKeon, the manager, and said, hey, why don't you let the kid hit for me? So I, I pinch hit for John Mayberry because he recommended it. <laughs> oh, that's cool. What a cool story. Well, and I also got to believe part of the reason was uh, Milwaukee had a left-handed reliever on the mound, and John didn't, <laughs> didn't especially like hitting left-handers. Yeah, it was Rick Austin, right? Yeah. Rick Austin, yeah. You once told me a funny story of how you tried to sit by certain guys. There was like a national game of the week the Royals were on, and you were trying to get some TV time on the bench, right? What was that story? Yeah, back in those days, the the big night for national coverage was Mondays. There was a Major League Baseball uh, game of the week, and it was Monday night. And that, that was the before I got into a game, but I knew the best chance of getting on camera was to sit on the bench next to Harmon Killebrew, <laughs> who spent his final year there as a, a DH. To, so I spent the whole game sitting next to Harmon, hoping that the, the cameras would pan the duck out <laughs> looking for Harmon. And, and it worked. I, I ended up on national TV because I was sitting next to Harmon Killebrew. <laughs> Did you get a copy of that game ever on tape or not? God, no. That's great. <laughs> what a great yeah, story. Things, I was never much into souvenirs or memorabilia back then, so I have very little of my playing days of any records. And that's one of my biggest regrets now is that I, I wasn't into anything like that back then. Wow. Well... So we talked about it briefly, but July 8th of 75, like you said, Mayberry suggests you go in against Austin. You do that. So how I understand it is there's two on and nobody out, and you grounded into a 5-3, right? And they, tr they tried to turn two but threw the ball away, and you got to second on an error. Is that how it happened? Yeah, I saw a grand total of one pitch. <laughs> I got a slider from Austin down and in. Yeah, I was, was going to swing at anything. I don't care where it was. <laughs> this, is, this was my chance. <laughs> And I got a a pretty hittable pitch, and I hit it good. It was a one-hop, mind-drive grounder to third. And they um, ended up throwing me out at first. I've been a double play ball, but they came up a little bit and couldn't get down to second. So, yeah, that was my one of that, one pitch. <laughs> now, does that seem like it's been a lifetime ago, or does it seem like just yesterday? Oh, that that's... Two lifetimes ago. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> wow. Well, so the top of the ninth, then, you're still in there on defense, and Dennis Leonard's on the mound pitching a gym, and Bill Sharp flies out to you and left. Do you remember catching that ball? Yep. Yeah, I, I was never fast, but I could play defense. You know, if I, if I could get to it, I was going to catch it. Man, it was just a short play ball. It was a piece of cake. So you get sent back to Omaha, which obviously uh, you were expecting, and then you finished 1975, had a nice year. 19 home runs, 73 RBIs. You had a 798, real impressive OPS. So finishing that 1975 year in Omaha, you know, what were you thinking heading into 1976? Well, I'd, I'd been hopeful the whole year that I would – but I pretty much assumed I was going to get called up in September. So that was a major blow when I didn't get called up. Which kind of was a downer for the off season 
I knew, okay, I'm, I'd expect it to go back to Omaha, but I thought I'd be in a similar situation, maybe have a chance of getting called up, and that made, the, in my mind, the chance less, which didn't change the way I played. I, I, I only had one mode playing baseball. I, I busted my rear off, and that's how you play baseball. So it didn't affect my play any. It just, I, and mentally, I think I, I saw the handwriting on the wall a little more. Well, you go to 76, to spring training uh, there in Fort Myers. What was that like, by the way? Was that complex pretty nice? Was it comparable for everybody else, what they had back in those days? Oh, everything that Kansas City had back in those days was top. Huh. A1. I mean, it was their facilities, even in spring training, were just perfect. And I'm, I'm sure you remember this. This was back in the days when... Kansas City was big on their baseball academy. Yep, yep. Their their whole philosophy as far as scouting and, and signing players was we can sign the best athletes available and we'll turn them into baseball players. Which in some cases was successful, in a lot of, a lot of cases it wasn't. I mean, it takes a different to play baseball, quite honestly. And that's why you don't see a baseball academy now. I think they, for the amount of money they spend on it, they realize we're not getting the game for a buck. So, But then to skip to present day, the, the Kansas City Royal team today reminds me of the teams that Kansas City was trying to wreck back in the academy days. Great athletes, don't have a lot of power, but they play the game right. Yeah, we love it. We love it. So, 1976, you were, you know, great again for Omaha. You whacked 22 home runs, 62 RBIs. You had a 787 OPS. So, that second year in Omaha, anything in particular stick out? No. The two, those two Omaha years were great years because we were playing for Billy Gardner who I loved as a manager. And both years we won our division, ended up losing in the playoffs both years. But as far as team baseball, they were my just my greatest years. I loved it. I mean, we played good baseball, good stadium. Everything was just enjoyable because it was baseball like I thought it was meant to be played. Was uh, was there anybody in particular you were friends with? Any teammates on the Omaha teams? Oh, my greatest friend then was a guy named Frank Ortenzio. Yeah, slugger. First baseman, right? Yep, first baseman, Moose. And if you ever met him, you'd understand why. He's about 6'2", probably 230, 240. Just an animal. <laughs> Probably the strongest player ever played with. And just a great guy. Even though and I ended up replacing him at first, but we, we still stayed the best friends. He DH'd, he I played first, and we are a pretty good combination for a while. What's he doing these days? You still, you still talk to him at all or not? I have talked to none of the Royals since I got out of baseball, but... I heard that he became a minister 
on the coast in Washington. Huh. Yeah, I remember him uh, going to Japan and being a slugger and playing for the Denver Bears. He, he could hit the home runs like you could back in those oh, days. Oh, awesome, Howard. Awesome. Now, 1977 was your last year with Omaha. Then you played for a man named John Sullivan. Any memories of him? Yeah, he, he was kind of a... <laughs> yeah, that, that was kind of his hurrah to baseball. He became a manager just to stay in the game a little bit. His heart wasn't it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, pretty, pretty rude to say, but it was the truth. Yeah, well... So you ended up retiring then at the end of that 77 season. Was that an easy decision for you at that point? Well, actually, I didn't retire then. I got traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Really? And I went went to spring training with them in 78 and got released at the end of spring training. And I... I got to believe I could have gotten picked up back with the Royals and probably played in Omaha again or anything, but after nine years in the minors, it was it was time. And then the other thing that happened in 78, I finally graduated from college in the spring of 78 after nine years of hit and miss going to school. So I had my degree to fall back on, so it just seemed like the ideal time to get a real job. I got to correct all these. I'm glad I'm getting these facts out because nobody had that trade to the Pirates. I'll have to get that in there to all the different baseball sites. That's cool. And it, and it could be that because I never actually played a regular season game for him. Oh. It was just all in spring training. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what did you end up doing then after that with uh, as far as your degree and everything? What did you major in and all that good stuff? Well, my, my degree was in math. Ooh, smart. That's one thing I always had going for me is I was an excellent student. So when I came down to my final, uh, ended up my final quarter, because I, I didn't count years in going to school since there were nine of them, but final quarter, I had enough credits to graduate, but I didn't have any real major. So I, I needed one last math class to get a math degree, so I took that class and got a degree in math. had no idea what I was going to do with it. <laughs> You know, probably the majority of people that get a math degree end up teaching high school or something, but I didn't really have teaching in mind since I had no teaching credits. I would would have taken about a half year to get my teaching credential. So I, I signed up for unemployment and ended up getting a job in the computer industry out of the Washington State Unemployment Services. Huh. That's that's cool. Uh, well, yeah, I, I became a computer analyst for the Burroughs Corporation, which today is Unisys. Hey, I think my dad does stuff with them. That's kind of small world. Um, well, now one other thing I didn't ask you that because I couldn't find the info was I know you played some winter ball, and I can't remember where you played at. Where were some of the places you played winter ball, and and what are your memories of those years? Well, that's another thing I have the the Royals to thank for was I'd never played winter ball in the Brewer organization. But after the 75 season, the uh, the Royals got me a job playing in the Dominican for winter ball. So I played about a month there. And 
that quite honestly was a major cultural shock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't understand what poverty was until I got down there. And, and talk about player or individuals and culture sticking out. But here we are, Americans coming down, playing winter ball, making... Now, I made more money there than I did in the States. And living amongst people that were barely on a subsistence level, it was really a shock. Talk about great people. I mean, they they loved baseball. They were so nice to us, even though we were were kind of kings to them. Is it pretty down there, by the way? I've always wanted to visit down there. Oh, it was beautiful. We lived in a hotel. I took my family down with me. At that time, I had a wife and two kids. Oh, that's nice. We lived in a hotel right on the beach, (laughs) which was interesting. We were told not to swim in the ocean because about a mile down the, the, the ocean front, there was a pier that was the dumping point for all the renderings from the beef rendering plant they oh, had there. Oh, gosh. So the sharks used to come in and gorge themselves, and then it would end up coming down to our little beach. <laughs> oh, gosh. Never did see a shark, but we were warned. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were warned there, at least. So when you look back at your professional baseball career then, what are you most proud of all these years later? Well, the, the proudest has to be that you know, even though I spent nine years in the minors, I, I did get one at bat in the big leagues, and so that has to be my crowning joy. Hey, gets you in the baseball encyclopedia and all that good stuff, That's right? right? Yeah, right. So, I had a friend when I was living in outside of Spokane who I'd met when I was living there. This is you know, 35 years after I played baseball. He refused to believe that I played majors until I pulled out the baseball encyclopedia and showed it to him. And he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> That's great. It's, he's, he's just so like, it, it, got me, it got me several beers. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Now, well, two more questions for you. When you think back to your three years with Kansas City, you know, is it just first class and good memories, all that good stuff? Oh, yeah, that, that, that was such a, a move up from what I knew with the Brewers that, oh, yeah, that that was that was top hat. Everything Kansas City back, did back in those days, and I don't know how it is today, but back in those days, it was top notch. Yeah, I guess, see, it gives me pride hearing that kind of stuff. I love that. So I guess the last thing for you is, you know, to Royals fans listening right now, what would you like to say, uh, you know, to Royals fans? Well, this was a question I had for you. Back back in my day, there was no Kansas City-St. Louis rivalry. Right. Because there, there wasn't an interleague um, baseball. Right. So they never played each other other than spring training. So I, I have to say there was no sense of a rivalry. What's it like now between those two cities? Oh, they hate each other. I mean, well... It, I think it's more one of those things where St. Louis kind of acts like they're the big brother and kind of 
you know, talks down to the little brother and kind of pats us on the head, and, and the Royals fans, you know, just resent them for that. And St. Louis still whines about the 85 World Series and the blown call by Dinkinger, but doesn't acknowledge that they had two breaks in that series or that we beat them by 12 runs in Game 7. So I know there's, but there's a lot of people around here right now that are really hoping for another I-70 World Series. I know I am because I'd love to end St. Louis' season, although it would be heartbreaking if we somehow lost to them, though, on the other side of that token. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, being that close together, they, the two towns should hate each other. Yeah, That's they do. That's the way baseball is. <laughs> <laughs> I think we hate them a little extra. They kind of mock us, like just make it, take us as a joke, and then we, in turn, have the emotion of hate for them. <laughs> well, yeah, it's probably similar to the Yankees and Mets. Yeah. The Yankees been around forever, have the, the money to spend. It's my understanding that the Royals are somewhat like, well, not that the Mets don't spend money. That's a poor example, but I think I heard that their payroll of ninety million is could be the lowest in baseball. Yeah, we're I think we're actually like twentieth, but yeah, it's I mean we're still lower half for sure. Yeah, so you know, can't or then St. Louis has been around forever, and and by all regards, is a great baseball town. Like I can see where they'd look. Look down on Kansas City. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of Royals fans too. They call themselves the the best fans in baseball. It's kind of self appointed. So I think that that gets mocked quite a bit here in Kansas City as well. Man, you can go up to Green Bay and be the best fan in football. Man. Right. <laughs> right. You can label yourself anything you want. Right. Have Have you ever been back to Kansas City or Omaha? By the way, since you left in those days. No. Ah. When I was there in the big leagues in 75. Well, maybe someday we'll have you back out here. It'd be great to see you for a game one of these days. Yeah, I, you know, maybe check my, my checkbook and see if, <laughs> see if you can get me some tickets for the, the St. Louis, Kansas City Major League World Series. There you go. I, I like how you think. I like how you think. Well, hopefully we'll take care of Baltimore, but... It was, I mean, it was really nice talking to you, and I hope we can stay in touch. And I will, uh, you know, I, I appreciate it, and, and your story is pretty awesome to hear. Well, and thank you, and uh, good luck uh, with your career there in Kansas City. You need to uh, tell George Brett your call. <laughs> Did you, do you have any good George memories? Well, he was on the team. That was, I believe, his second year, and it was obvious that he was going to, amount to something special but that was that was in the days that he was the heir apparent to become great he hadn't quite gotten there yet but he, he was just a, a good guy I mean just friendly with everybody just a heck of a person what a heck of a career he had too yeah those are I'll, I'll try to get you in touch with some of your old teammates by the way because I'm gonna I've got you know I'm starting to talk to more a lot of people from that era so we'll have to get you in touch with them and, and get you out here one of these days yeah thank you dave